Welcome back to another episode of All Things Red. On today's show, I have someone that I've known for a very long time, and I've seen him, you know, work his way up and, you know, really achieve what he's always wanted to, um, and he hasn't stopped yet. Um, Mike Peters. Mike is currently the assistant linebackers coach for the University of, of Buffalo's football team. He got his coaching start at McMurray College, which is a Division three school in Jacksonville, Illinois. And he has worked his way all the way up from equipment manager to coach at the D1 level. Mike, my man, how we doing? Doing great, man. It's it's funny. We were talking before you started recording just like how it's been so long since, you know, when we met, you know, training when we were both in school. And, you know, it's good that we still have the connection to, to be able to kind of, you know, get on the get on a podcast and, and talk about, you know, life lessons and stuff like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool because um we talk about it all the time, like um, all the boys doing their thing. And then now that we're all in like our careers and stuff like that, you kind of look back to like us knowing each other when we were younger. And then to think like where we are today, it's almost like if when we were younger then, if you were to say to me, hey, this is what I'm going to do or hey, this is what I'm going to do because of how young and immature we were, we were probably just like, yeah, no chance. <laughs> Dude, couldn't have said it better. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I think about it all the time. If you were to tell me, uh, you know, eight, nine years ago when we met, like, you know, yeah, you'd be coaching FBS football at, you know, University of Buffalo. I'd be like, yeah, right. All right. See you later. You know, good talk. And not that I didn't believe in myself to do it, but at my, at the time I had no intentions of coaching. So it was kind of, it was kind of not on my radar. Um, you know, I actually wanted to get into, I went to school in Chicago at Lake Forest College, um, which is like 15, 20 minutes North of downtown Chicago. And, um, so when I went to school there, my plan was to like live in Chicago after graduation and make a ton of money and, you know, live in a high rise. And, you know, and then, you know, fast forward uh, after graduation, I, I got into coaching, which is not uh, not what, you know, it doesn't have money. You know, there's not much money in it early on. So it's kind of a it's it's a humble beginning, you know, for sure. Yeah. So before we get into that and how you got into coaching and whatnot, because you said it wasn't on your radar, you played, you know, kind of going back for people that are listening, you and I met when we were working out together at Absolute Performance, which for people in Buffalo, that is the sports performance gym that is in the Eastern Hills Mall. And we were training there because um, we were both in college and in our respective sports and stuff like that. And we've just always stayed in touch to maintain the relationship over the years, even though it's been like, what, five, six years since we probably even actually saw each other. Yeah, man, I think we saw each other maybe out one night and it was I think I saw you and, and Megan. Uh, I'm not sure what bar it was at, but it was great to run it into you. But, you know, we still stayed in touch through the distance and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you played at Lake Forest College in uh, Illinois. What um, what level was that? Is that two, three? Uh, it was Division three. Um, okay. So I went to high school at Cumber West High School here in, in Buffalo. Um, you know, I I had an average high school career. It wasn't anything great. Um, kind of had some some battles with uh, you know fighting against you know just kind of a tough situation with high school head coach and. You know, and, um, you know, I knew I wanted to play college football. Um, sometimes other people and their perceptions, they, they don't think you can do something. Um, you know, I was dead set on playing no matter what the level was. And when I met you, John, I was in my senior year of college. Um, and, you know, if you went back four years prior to that, uh, you know, when I was a senior in high school, like I was like, I was just looking at these Division three schools, like asking them for a walk-on opportunity. 
Um, I graduated in my senior year of high school with like six catches. I had like no, <laughs> I had no film. I had a minute and a half highlight tape and, um, you know, I was supplying to like John Carroll and in, in Cleveland, uh, St. John Fisher and Rochester, Lake Forest and Chicago. Like those are my final three. And, uh, I just fell in love with Chicago, man. I went on my visit. Um, it was just an incredible city. The, the coach Catanzaro, the head coach there was just, you can tell he was about relationships and actually like building a good culture there and, um, fell in love with it. And I knew exactly the moment when I stepped off that campus, like I'm, that's where I'm going to school. So it was just easy. It was a really easy decision once I just kind of got to compare the three. What was your, uh, what was your college experience like at Lake Forest? Cause not, I'm, I'm not shitting on it by saying this, but I've yeah. never heard of Lake Forest, which I'm sure a lot of people haven't. Um, so, you know, what, what was Lake Forest like? And like, what was the, what was the, fo- what was your experience with football like? So, you know, it's funny. Cause I always say like, like I'll, I'll always tell people where I went to school and I'm always shocked when I do hear like that someone has heard of it, especially out here in, in Buffalo. Like um, mm. there are, there are some kids actually that I went to school with that went to Nichols, you know, uh, there's four or five kids. I went to Nichols that went to play hockey over at Lake forest. So like when I got out to Lake forest and I met some other Buffalo people, it was kind of cool, but you know, so Lake forest, it's a small private liberal arts school, about 1500 kids. It's an extremely nice area of, of Northern part of Chicago. Um, it's about, and I'd say it's about 10, 15 minutes from Evanston, which is where Northwestern is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's in a really good area. Um, you know, my college experience was, you know, probably why I got into coaching because you have the small atmosphere of the school. Uh, you, you really know everyone. I mean, that's, it's about the size of some high schools around here. And, you know, there's a lot of athletes on the campus, a lot of people from all over the place, man. Like I had teammates from Texas, California, Nevada, you know, um, Arizona, uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, you know, you name it. So like being a small school like that and also having guys that are from all over the place was a, just a unique experience where now I can go travel and I can go visit people at pretty much in a bunch of states that I would have never been able to travel to if I just stayed home. So the experience of that, of going away and kind of taking that leap of faith to go to Lake Forest, a school that, you know, it isn't like a Clemson or it isn't a, it isn't an Alabama, um, but it is a, you know, it, it was an incredible experience to build relationships. Um, and I, I think when I was in school, I didn't take it as seriously as I probably should have. You know, I, I, I enjoyed myself uh, for four years and I think I got by in some, in some ways in, in the classroom. Um, definitely had a fun time, made some, some great memories, uh, but I, I was a little bit smarter than I, what I, what I put on my GPA. So I kind of regret that a little bit, but, um, but yeah, so like, what could, what can I fill you in about my college experience? Cause I can go on for, for a minute. Uh, you know, what specifically can I fill you in on? Well, one thing that you said that I wasn't even going to bring up at all, um, was how you said that you just like took the leap and you just like went and you went to Lake Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I found that just from things that I've personally done by saying, fuck it, just going and yep. putting myself out there, they ended up opening doors and giving me opportunities that I've always wanted. And then I kind of look back and I'm like, wow, if I never would have made that jump in the first place, I probably wouldn't have got to what I actually wanted to. So I'm always curious what people think that have like taken risk and done things when they look back on it. 
um, do, cause I know some people have like, will say like, fuck, I, I want to keep taking more risk and like risk is what gets you into opportunities and opens those doors for you. Looking back, do you feel that way? Or were you just like, ah, you know, I grew as a person, I learned some lessons, but I'm, I'm, I'm cool with only doing that. So my decision, and I had just had this conversation with a former teammate, um, you know, not too long ago, that decision to go to Lake Forest changed my life. And it's not because everyone says that everyone's like, Oh, like, you know, no, like, no, Lake Forest changed my life in, in, in regards to the decision to leave. Um, you know, I, I feel like leaving home is a life is like a life hack to success sometimes because I agree. It, it really does open up your vision and your perspective. Cause, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a huge advocate for what it's become since I left in 2010. Like it's, it's completely changed. I have a completely different mindset about the city. Um, but when I left, I was I was getting away from some some toxic you know in, environments with with friends that really weren't in my best interest and so when I went to school there I didn't know how many doors would open up like I wouldn't be coaching college football right now if I didn't go to Lake Forest I don't know if I would have stayed in school for four years if I stayed close enough to be able to come home every month you know like if I would have went to like John Carroll in Cleveland, I can make a three and a half hour drive. If I went to Rochester to St. John Fisher, hour and a half. Like I think being far enough away where I was coming home once every four months, something like that, I was able to kind of like be in the moment, be present, build relationships. Um, you know, if I wouldn't have went to Lake Forest, I wouldn't be coaching and I wouldn't have met, you know, my girlfriend at the moment who, you know, I met in Nashville at a coaching convention. So if I wouldn't have went to Lake Forest, I wouldn't be coaching, which means I wouldn't have been at the convention where I met my girlfriend of four years, you know? So like, it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy how everything is a ripple effect of that, of one decision, which is why, like when you have those opportunities to make um, a tough, but critical choice, you should just do it because then you don't live in regret. There's too many people that just don't jump or take the opportunity that is in front of them. And they take the step back from the ledge and they kind of say, no, nah, I'm good. And they wouldn't have known what's at the bottom. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have known, you know, what that opportunity could lead to. So uh, for me, Lake Forest and the decision to go there has opened up doors that weren't even in my, you know, mindset at that time. Yeah. And that's kind of like what I was getting to, because yep. I've, that's how, that's how I felt with Mercyhurst when I transferred there was, that mm-hmm. was the best decision I've ever made and from just wanting to get out of Hobart so badly and just being like fuck it I'll go to Mercier's just because I know people there I don't really know that much about the school but fuck it let's go um yeah that's kind of how and and, I mean it's kind of you know you got to pick and choose when you can and can't do that um but to me it's like I kind of that's how I like go about most things now is like if I'm like fuck like I don't really know and it's kind of like freaking me out I'm just like that's my intuition to be like just go do it you know what I mean yeah you can't be afraid to fail man like that's that's kind of like my mindset with this is like is for example and this is maybe going a little bit off it but it's it's relevant in a way like when you're in a profession at all like you want to always try to be learning from like people that are above you or know more than you and if you're scared to do that because you're scared of not getting a reply or not getting something like that, you're never going to make those connections that are going to help take you to the next level at whatever you're doing. So for me, at least uh, I'm really, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for like handwritten letters to people that you really want to learn from and want to like, you know, pick their brain, whatever it is, you know, find a mentor. 
And so since getting into coaching, I felt like the best way to, to knock those walls down had been to take the time to do your research on someone, write a letter, say you want to learn from them, get on the phone with them, show that you are prepared with good questions and make a good first impression because you never know who's going to pick up the phone and call you for a job when you least expect it. Uh, and that could change your life. You just don't know. Um, so create your own opportunities by building relationships. That's kind of like what, what I'm, you know, I, what, what I'm always trying to do and, and tell other coaches that are, you know, coming up in the industry. Why do you think so many people are hesitant to do that? Because I, um, that's how I've always been. Like I've looked at it from the perspective of like, say if we didn't know each other, um, and I was a high school kid, I would have no issue reaching out to you because the way I look at it is even if you don't answer me or you don't respond to me, I'm still in the same position I am today. I don't like lose anything. So um, that's how I normalize it in my head. But I know there are people that are just like, why would you do that? That's, that's not going to make a good first impression. That looks bad, but it's like, okay, I got nothing to fucking lose. I would say, you know, I would say the reason is, is because we have, I think social media is, is there's a lot of great things about the platforms and, and what you can do on them. But the, the need for like likes and attention and not, and, and not getting, um, you know, ignored is, is like a rejection thing and people take it personal. Uh, a good friend of mine that I worked with at Concordia, Chicago, which is my second job. Uh, I, he was a division one athlete at Illinois, he play, Illinois, he played, uh, played defensive back for them and wound up going on to play for the Cowboys for a few years. And, but he, he gave me a great perspective because he went from being a division one athlete to, he went from being basically a division one athlete to being a division three football coach. And the reason he did that was because he wanted to legit coach football, not grab coffees for full-time guys at, at D one. Like he wanted to like coach football. And so basically what he told me was, listen, like coaches at every level are just people like you, you don't, you don't put them on a pedestal because of the logo or don't put them on a pedestal because of like maybe the, the company they work for. Like they all, everyone has had to have help somewhere to get to where they are. No one's getting anywhere by themselves, whether it's a family member, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a friend, like people are climbing in industries because they're building relationships and building trust with people that are above them. Like if you're at the top of your like group of like of people, you know, you, and, and there's no one that you're learning from, like you're in the wrong room. Like you got to be around people that are always trying to, to level up always trying to challenge you. Um, so I guess that's, I, I would say the reason people don't do it because they're afraid of the rejection part or not getting an immediate uh, gratification that like, or that, you know, you know, instant um, reply, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it does. It completely makes sense. Um, Cause I had a, I had a buddy that reached out to me the other day. This is definitely off topic, but um, it kind of goes along with it, but I had a buddy that reached out to me the other day that, uh, I went to high school with and he was saying how he's thinking about switching up careers and stuff like that and wanted to know what I, uh, like just any tips or anything I had for him about like real estate and getting into real estate. And he was like, so how do you, you know, one of the things he asked me was how do you get in touch with like a team or how do you get in touch with a certain broker? He's like, do they post job listings? I said, they might. I said, but like, I never did that. I said, the way I looked at it was like, I played sports my whole life. I said, so what I did was I would just look at who the top producer was and I would just hound them. 
like literally yeah. hound them, like for nonstop emailing, calling, email, calling. But you, but when you do that, you also learn like when to like, okay, when you're being too much and then being like being persistent and following up. So I always looked at it as like, okay, that's a way for me myself to learn that skill of follow up and being persistent and not taking no for an answer. And then in the same time as well, if that guy, which no one has ever yet to do, if someone blocks me or someone says like, Hey, like go fuck off, like stop, like leave me alone. Then I right there just learned, okay, there's something I did in that, that isn't proper with following up. So now when I go to reach out or network with someone again, I, I already have a sample of what not to do, but it's funny because a lot of people, like, like you were saying, like a lot of people that are higher up or, you know, in a position that you want to be, the higher up you go, as I'm sure you can kind of talk about when you talk about, you know, you coaching at D3 to where you are now at Buff or not Buff State, uh, at UB, is that the higher up the position, the less time that, that that person actually has. So when they don't respond to you right away or they don't reach back out to you, it's not because they're ignoring you or you're too little of a person to get their attention. It's just that they have so much other shit going on that unless they feel as though that you're serious about it or that you're adding value, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to think, Oh, I, this kid randomly messaged me. I'm going to get back to him. You know what I mean? No, I couldn't agree more. Cause you hit on something that I didn't, I meant to hit on, but I didn't. Um, the not on top of like the, not like getting the instant gratification of a response. Like you got to show that you're persistent enough that you're different from the next guy that's sending the email. So like if someone emails me six times, and I've seen it the first time, but I was in the middle of, you know, a recruiting call or I was doing something that, you know, I was doing something for my boss and like I couldn't get back to them right away, but I read it and I meant to get back. A lot of times it's never personal. It's never on purpose because we've all wanted to help. We all want to help people, you know, like we all want like especially someone that has had to, to climb in an industry, no matter what it is. Like you want to help the next guy. You want to reach back and bring people with you as much as you can and, and, and share advice, share perspective. So like if it's never on purpose to look at a, look an email or look at a text or look at anything and be like, you know, Oh, I'm purposely going to ignore that. No one does that even at the NFL level, you know, but the more persistent you are of email, letter, text, wishing happy birthday, wishing, uh, you know, just having finding reasons to contact people and stay relevant in people's, in people's minds about, Hey, that's a great dude to, to maybe bring on board one day. Like that's, that's kind of like where you want to get with this thing is be so numb to like the whole non-response thing that, you know, like it's, it's no big deal. Send out a thousand letters and get 12 responses. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Because it's yeah. just 12. It's, it's like you said, it's 12 responses you didn't have. It's not about the thousand letters. It's about the 12 responses and 12 more responses than you had than before you didn't write any letters <laughs> or you didn't write any emails. So those 12 people or 12 relationships could change your life, can change your kid's life because you are able to work a job, make a bunch of money or be in a situation where you can help impact. Like this is what I talk about. Ripple effect is like do the things that other people aren't doing so that you can live a life that other people aren't like it's this count kind of sounds cliche, but it's really these things, these small things add up. They really do. I really believe it. I really believe in like, making good first impressions with one person at the level of where you want to be is going, it can and will, you know, pay dividends. 
Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And um, like kind of going on that, I'm just putting this out on the record, which um, it's not like it's a pipe dream. We both know that it's going to be a thing eventually, but I'm trying to get James Starks on the podcast. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah, yeah. I've reached out to him a bunch of times. I haven't gotten anything back from him yet, but it's like I also he's also a former NFL player. You know what I mean? So he's yeah. probably busy with business ventures, family, a million other things. You know what I mean? But it's not yeah. like. I mean, it's a little bit different since I know him. And, like, the last time I saw him when we were out, I wasn't even going to say nothing. He came up to me and was like, yo, how you been, bro? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, since yeah. We, we worked out with them. But, like, to that point, it's just like, okay, like, it's not that he wants nothing to do with me. It's just like, dude, he probably maybe didn't even see it yet or he saw it and it, like, slipped his mind. It's just you know, you never know. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, now, with, uh, with coaching, you got your start uh at what's the name of the college again i'm drawing a blank uh mac murray mac Murray Murray college yes so you graduated college so like run me down the process of how this even started so you you graduated college did you go to grad school so this is kind of i'll give you the rundown so i'll kind of walk you through like how i got to i guess right now so Mm -hmm. uh and bear with me I'll, i'll make it as 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 smooth as possible so uh, you're, you're the guest. Uh, take as much time so, as you want. I, uh, so like we talked about, I went to Lake Forest. I, I played there for four seasons, uh, got a degree in communications. Um, you know, I was, went in there as a, actually a education major. I wanted to be a, a teacher. I wanted to move back home, coach high school football at Cumberland West, be the head coach, you know, all that stuff. Well, you know, I, I really, I got an education. And I probably was in that one. I took like three classes the first semester. Like, yeah, I can't, this is not for me. So I met with an advisor that I was recommended to meet with, um, Helen DeGross. She literally kind of changed my perspective on what I should be doing um, with what I felt like I was good at. I felt like I was good with people. I felt like I was good with building relationships. Uh, I felt like I was good with communications. Um, you know, just It's a broad major, but I felt like it kind of matched what my strengths were. So I graduated mm-hmm. with that in 14. Um, I was a part of a conference championship team there in 2012. Uh, played receiver two and a half year starter. I was injured part of my sophomore year. Um, you know, it was an incredible experience. Coach Cat and the guys that I met, awesome people, lifelong friends. So at the, basically uh, after my senior year, I had no idea what, uh, after my senior season, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had the spring to kind of figure it out. So we always had our end of the year meetings and I met with Coach Cat. And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what I want to do. Uh, I thought about coaching. I don't know where to start. So he basically offered to let me come in in the spring because we have a spring season uh, where we have like 15 practices and uh, coach the receivers. Um, Our coach had moved on to another opportunity. They didn't have a coach at the time. Uh, So I basically was coaching my buddies. So it was a weird deal, man, because like we'd be going like we'd, we'd be throwing parties at like my room and then I'd be going and coaching them, you know, um, on the field. So it was a really hard dynamic to build trust and kind of have you know, guys listen to me, uh, as a coach, you know, cause like I'm, tw- I was 21 years old, um, you know, coaching these guys. And it's just, was, it was tough because you're, you're trying to set, set by example, you're trying to do the right thing. Um, so that I, I really was in an uncomfortable spot. I just remember being, it, it just, a, it was, it was a tough deal. So I knew that once that I finished though, that spring, I knew that's what I wanted to do because I felt like one of the hardest things is coaching your team, your teammates. So if mm-hmm. I could do, if I can do that with confidence, I felt like I could do that with a group of guys that doesn't look at me as a peer, but looks at me as a coach that's looking out for my best interest, trying to, to help me advance in the, um, 
you know, in the game, you know, trying to put me in the best position to succeed. So I had one opportunity to coach. I had literally one opportunity to interview, one opportunity to get into coaching. And it was through um, an alum of Lake Forest. His name's Kyle Langhoff. Uh, he's the defensive coordinator at Beloit College in Wisconsin right now. Um, he uh, was an alum, you know, Coach Cat reached out. There was an opportunity to coach receivers. It was a $7,000 position with uh, room um, and, uh, and a meal plan. Uh, I had no idea where Jacksonville, Illinois was. I got in my car from Buffalo and I drove to the middle of Illinois, which is uh, Jacksonville's kind of an hour north of St. Louis. Small, mm-hmm. to- small town, one red light, uh, you know, a couple gas stations, a Taco Bell, uh, and a steak and shake, you know, like, but it was probably those 10 months I was there. I learned more about like how to be a coach through, um, you know, through principle, like my head coach there was such a, he was a man of faith. Uh, and he just was a great example of what, what you should be doing, no matter whether you have all the resources at an FBS program, or you have slim resources, like we did at McMurray, like we were making the best out of what we had. We were, we were recruiting relationships. Like we go out and recruit and say, we can't give you the newest helmet or the newest Jersey, but we're going to love you and we're going to make the best of you, um, you know, as an athlete and and, in academics, get you a degree. Uh, And, and I really learned a lot in those 10 months from him. And I still stay in touch with him a lot. And just my perspective and on how to go about coaching really stems from that first job. So I was only there for 10 months because a teammate of mine was the defensive line assistant coach at a school called Concordia, Chicago which is nine miles west of downtown Chicago. It's about 45 mm-hmm. minutes from where I went to school. So uh, I had the ability to go back to a city and not be in, in rural Jacksonville, Illinois. So I was all about it. So uh, I interviewed, luckily had the opportunity to, to go back there and coach the receivers. Uh, I, was able to, I was able to get my master's degree paid for while I was coaching. So I was a, what you call a graduate assistant coach. So I coached mm-hmm. the receivers. I ran all the social media. I did the, the was the video coordinator. So I had a different, I had a lot of different hats. Um, you know, so I was able to have a balance of like social life and also a balance of, you know, I get to coach football for a living and go to school. So I was there from 15 to 2017 and I, I earned my master's degree in sports leadership. Um, so that was, I told myself I wouldn't go back to school after my bachelor's because it wasn't really for me. Well, then fast forward, I had a master's degree, um, you know, and then after that master's degree, I, t- I swore to myself I wouldn't go back again. There's no way I'm going back to school. Not a chance. Um, so during my time, which, and during my time at Concordia, it's really important to, to talk about like that whole networking thing we talked about. Uh huh. So the, the moment that really kind of changed the course of my career was, um, coach Eric Finney, the one I talked about that played at Illinois, he told me like, listen, like these guys are just people too. like reach out. If you don't get a response, who cares if you get a response? Great. You just built, you built a relationship at that level. So I sent a bunch of emails out to like all the receivers coaches at like the, um, like at the FBS level, the level I wanted to one day coach at, like, which seems so far stretched, uh, at the time. So I got probably 10 responses like from a guy at Nebraska, um, a guy that was with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and then one that really kind of changed my course was I had wrote um, an email to Rob Ionello, who was the receivers coach at the time at, at uh, University of Buffalo. 
and mm-hmm. he's he's my boss right now. I wrote a, I wrote an email. He got back to me, and he said, "Next time you're in town, come up. We'll talk receiver play, all this stuff." I thought it was the coolest thing, man. I was like, I couldn't. I was like, I walked in that building as a guest, and I was like sweating, like because it was like Division One football in my hometown. You know, I'm gonna go and you know make a good first impression. I was up there like six hours that time. I went up there, and little did I know, I was I was essentially interviewing um, for a job that I would be you know called about a year later. So that first impression of going up there and just kind of chopping it up, talking receiver play, talking about my kind of path, where I was, where I've been, where I'm from. Um, I didn't know at the time was, was, you know, setting myself up for a possible opportunity. So I, that was the summer of 2016. I graduated in December of 17. I moved all the way back home from Chicago to Buffalo. I have no job. I'm thinking to myself, all right, what's the next D3 job I'm going to take? Um, you know, cause I didn't have any opportunities. So I get a phone call. I look down at my phone. I'm standing in my kitchen. I look down and says, Rob Ionello. And he called me about an opportunity to, uh, interview for the receivers graduate assistant position. So to put it in perspective, I was going from division three, possibly to division one, the highest level possible. And I, to me, it was like, like, this is, this is like a unicorn opportunity. So I went in, I was extremely nervous. I look back on that opportunity that, that, inter- that I look back on that interview and I felt like I just wasn't myself. I felt like I went in just trying to be what they wanted me to be instead of just being who I was. And um, I did not wind up getting the job. I thought I was a for Sherlock because he called, he called me. I didn't even reach out. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, he, I didn't wind up getting the job, but I, the offensive coordinator, uh, Andy Koltenecki, who, um, is now the OC at, for Kansas, uh, he, he called me and offered me an opportunity to, to volunteer with the running backs. So I was what's called a quality control coach. So I was working for free, and I was working the same hours pretty much as the GAs, which, you know, we work 65, 70-hour weeks, um, you know, pretty much, you know, year-round, maybe not in July. But so I was, you know, doing all the copies. I was, you know, doing a lot of work that people didn't want to do while working a job um, at Giancarlo's Steakhouse over in the Tony Walker Plaza here in Buffalo. I was, I was serving tables and busing tables uh, while I was volunteering. So however I had to make it work financially, I made it work. Uh, and then in, the, in January of 2019, I basically was able to – I had an opportunity that Coach Leifold offered me to move into a paid position. So off the field, I, was, I, was, I wasn't coaching for – from January to April, I was helping with academics and I was basically uh, building relationships with players and trying to help them succeed beyond the football field. Like, what are your goals? What do you want to do after football? You know, like, like, what do you do outside of football? Trying to help, you know, teach things that kind of go overlooked. Um, so that was a really cool perspective of what the impact. Um, you know, building relationships with, with guys that are looked at as just football players. Like, for example, like we have guys that just got, you know, drafted uh, this year, like last week um, in the NFL draft. Like, and to me, that's like, you know, that's just Malcolm Koontz. Like that he's, you know, he's, yeah, he's an incredible defensive end, but he's extremely funny and, you know, he's a good person to be around. So like humanizing him, like humanizing like athletes is, is if that makes a lot of these guys they are just trying to, you know, have fun playing football and get an education. And they just happen to be on TV with a school that, everybody, that a lot of people know. 
Um, so that role is in the player development really was uh, a, a great opportunity. And then in April of 19, Coach Leipold offered me um, the opportunity to move into a uh, the linebacker's graduate assistant position. Um, and what I'll tell you about this is I had no experience coaching defense. So mm -hmm. you talk about like failing, right? You talk about like, okay, making these decisions, these leaps of faith. Like I think coach had more faith in me than I did in myself to approach the role. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you how to line up a front at the time. I couldn't tell you pretty much anything about linebackers. I knew all I knew was receivers and pretty much pass game stuff and a little bit of running back stuff. So, but you know, he told me, you know, you, you work hard, you, you, you show up and you, you're trying to be proactive in things like, you know, I, I'm offering you the opportunity, you know, and coach Simpson, who I was my boss for, for two years, you know, he was extremely patient. Uh, and I took on something that was like learning a different language. So I was the, I, I'm still the linebackers graduate assistant, but, uh, when I took it over in April of 19, it was just a completely, it was, it was, I was uncomfortable. It was, it was, I threw myself into a fire that I had to figure out and it was the best decision in my seven and a half years of coaching I've made so far because it's just opened my perspective to, to where I want to go in this, in this profession. So, um, you know, pretty much that's the, the that's kind of the, the short version of, um, the come up, I guess you could say. Uh, but it's, it's been, it's been pretty crazy. It's, it's just been, way beyond what I expected, I guess, when I got in back in 2015. Yeah. And there's, there's everything you were just saying, there's a lot there. So yeah, um, yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go like question by question. Sure, because sure, sure. Each question can fucking open a whole different, like go down a complete different, like rabbit, not going to say rabbit hole, but like yeah, we yeah. can just get so off topic. So the first, th one of the first things that you met that I w am curious about was when you first graduated and you got obviously got your first start did you you essentially were working for free like more so i'm talking the quality control yeah. uh, part um was there any part of you and i obviously i know the answer because i know you but i'm saying for people listening or maybe even some of your players that are listening um was there any part of you that was like you know what man like fuck this like my friends are out of college they're making they just they're starting their career they're making good a good starting salary I'm not making shit here. Um, but there is an opportunity here where was, did you ever have that thought of like, man, I should get a real job or were you like, all right, well, I got the opportunity that I'm looking for. I just got to figure out how to make it work all the time, man. Uh, it's funny. I'm smiling over here. Cause I'm thinking about how many times I came home, you know, and, and a lot of people don't know this and I really care less. Like, like I've, I'm like, I'm 28 and I'm living with my parents right now just to make this dream come to fruition. You know, like, however it's got to get done like i'm gonna figure it out but at the time when i was when i got into that volunteer role like i wanted so bad to be on the same level or have the same you know lifestyle as a lot of my friends that graduated and were making great money and going out every weekend and living for the mm -hmm. weekend and stuff like that and it's just that perspective man it's the perspective of do you love what you do or you do live for the weekend like if you mm -hmm. don't show up on Monday with the same perspective as people do on like leaving work at Friday, like it's, it's kind of like you, you're going to get burnt out. So like for me, I just had to keep reminding myself, like, what's the end goal? Like, where do you want to go in this thing? And is this worth it? 
Like, are is what you is what you're doing right now going to lead to opportunities that can help get you get you to where you want to be? And so, like, serving at G and Carlos and making money and was, uh, you know, it was tough, you know, but it was also a different, uncomfortable experience. Like, try not to get off topic here. I'll get back to what we're talking about. But G and Carlos and working at a restaurant and serving tables, I'd never done that before, but I knew I could make good money. And so there were guys that were 21 years old and I'm 25 years old teaching me how to open a bottle of wine so that I can make, you know, and that, you know, up, up selling on the, at the table, doing things like, so there were guys that I worked with that were um, younger, making more money than me, better at serving. But I was, that environment helped me like want to level up and be a better server, be better at the job. Um, so just that kind of competitive environment at, at the restaurant kept me competitive also on the on at, at UB, like, hey, like you're competing for a job right now. You're interviewing every day to show up and you're volunteer you're volunteering. So um there were times I came home a lot and I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go and I'm gonna use my degrees. I'm gonna get a get a, a real job a lot. Mm-hmm. More than I'd probably like to admit, but it you know, my mom can vouch for that. It's it's just not it's not easy to do to to climb and stay in this industry for seven, eight, nine years and make you know, no money. No, of course. And, you know, I kind of want, after I'm done saying what I'm about to say now, I kind of want you to pick it up and, and piggyback off it. Um, and I'm only asking, I'm asking this from the perspective of, you know, me asking you as a coach, not as a friend, and then mm-hmm. you giving me your, your thought back on it um, with the uh, notion that you have players listening. Yeah. Um, one thing for me was that I genuinely didn't know what the fuck I wanted. Like when I was getting into college, like when I went to college, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. I was just like, I want to be a boss one day. I want to have a lot of money. I want to take care of my family. I want to do whatever the fuck I want to do. Cause like when you're in college, you think that like one, you're like, you probably thought like, Oh, I can't wait to be out of school. And then I'm free. You know what I mean? And then it almost in a way seems like once you get into the real world, you kind of lost your freedom in a way because you have to start all over again and you have to build and you have to put in the work and you have to pay your dues and like how hard that you work to get in the college and how hard you work to get good at a sport. It's like with whatever your career is, you have to redo all of that, but for your career. So the way that I took it was once I started doing real estate, Um, And I figured out that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, take that, you know, entrepreneur, self-employed type route um, because I have really, really, really big dreams. Um, And so like what I thought was like, okay, how did I get good at lacrosse? I surrounded myself with kids I had no business playing against. They taught me all the tricks of the trade, Um, even with like working out. Like I went to I went to AP not because I thought. Tom was going to get me anywhere. I, in terms of the sport of lacrosse, I'm saying I went to AP because I'm like, okay, this guy used to work with NFL teams. This guy knows what the fuck he's talking about. You know, you got people like James Starks, Khalil Mack. Um, I mean, tons of dudes that are coming there to work out with him. So I'm like, if anything, I'm at least going to learn the proper way to train. So, okay, I'm going to pay the money. I'm going to go here. So when I was graduating college, I was like, you know what? Um, in real estate, they, they can't pay me anyways until I do a deal because it's a hundred percent commission. So why don't I try to find someone that I really have no resume for to get to like, get me to work with them. So like I emailed tons of like top notch brokers and I said, Hey, 
I'll do whatever. Like, I'll pick up your laundry. I'll drop your kids off at daycare. I'll do whatever the fuck you want me to do. I just want an opportunity and I just want to learn from you because I understood that. And I don't know because it was never told to me. I don't know where I got it from. But and I just understood that. Okay, okay. if he gives me an opportunity, he's not even paying me. If I work like he is paying me, then when the time comes that he does want to hire someone, he might look to me and be like, hey. And I just jump the line in front of everyone that's going the, here's my resume. Kind of like what you were saying. You got to kind of like think outside the box um, and like really put your ass on the line. And, and so I looked at that from, and I, and I still do that. And so like you said, working for free, that's why I'm um, bringing it up. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I wanted to ask you from that was how important do you think it is And again, everyone has a different situation. People have student loans, people, you know, have different financial obligations. So it's not, I'm not, it's not as easy as I'm, you know, about to make it seem, but how important do you think it is to stress to, you know, recent college grads or even uh, guys that you're coaching up that if they don't make it to the league, Hey, if you have an idea of what you want to do, or you have at least an industry of what you want to do work side jobs and then work the job that you want for free because that will get you in the door than them actually having to hire you because i feel like when you're working for free they have no obligation to you so they're like the way that they look at it is like okay if you really wanna if you're really gonna be here every day and you're gonna put in the effort and you're gonna do that and you're gonna work for free over time they look at that as like characteristics and traits that you can't teach and so that they'll want to bring you on and they'll want to hire you and they'll want to work with you. So what is your thought on that? So, yeah, I mean, you have a really good perspective. Um, you know, and I, we talked about like earlier just about being around like-minded people. And so for me, it's like this. So at the time when I took the volunteer spot, one of my mentors in this industry said, you'd be dumb to not take the volunteer spot. You know, I asked him, I was like, should I be looking at like division three paid jobs over this job? And he goes, no. Like, you're going to go learn from one of the best coaches in college football that won six national titles at Division Three. He's he won 109 games and lost six games. He has just as many losses as he does national titles. So I was able to, like, make a decision. On, okay, I'm going to go and put myself in an environment that, yes, I'm working for free, but I'm learning every day what it means to win. I'm learning every day what it takes to build a program. I'm learning every day – what it means to be a part of something that is bigger than myself. So like my advice, I guess would be for if you're looking to do something different, whether this is one of my players listening or anyone, you know, if you're looking to do something specific and you want to like start your own company or you want to do something, one, you need to surround yourself with people that are going to speak positively about what you want to do. Because the hardest thing, unfortunately is, there's going to be people like when, when I started at division three, like there was people I was talking about, I was talking about, yeah, I can't, you know, I want to coach division one so bad. And they're like, ah, you know, you're not going to be able to do that because you know, they put their limitations on your aspirations of you course. Know? and it's the, and it's, and it happens so much. And it even happens with family, you know, like, because you know, they didn't chase their dreams, whatever it is. But my point is, is like when you work for free, you're showing your commitment to how much you want to be there, how much you want to learn. You know, are you a sponge? Like, are you learning like everything you can in the moment? Are you just there holding a seat? You know, are you just, are you just there rocking a logo? 
you know, are you asking good questions? Are you trying to build relationships? Are you driving people to the airport at 3 a.m.? Are you doing things that other people wouldn't do so you can have an opportunity that, you know, a lot of people don't have? So, you know, so volunteering for me at the time was like, okay, put your head down, learn, learn how to do things that the right way that, you know, that Coach Leipold and the staff wanted it to be done. And, you know, just kind of, you know, figure it out. Like, you know, too many people, unfortunately, everything needs to be calculated. And for me, it was like, this isn't calculated. I have no idea how I'm going to make it work. I have no idea what job I'm going to have to to make it work. I'm going to have to go find something on Craigslist or, you know, apply for stuff, you know, and and I'm going to have to just find a nighttime job so that I can be there for practice and so that I can be there for games and all that stuff. So that whole year, because I did volunteer for a full year, pretty much exactly, uh, that was a grind. That was 365 of like just figuring it out every other week, you know, paying, you know, the bills, paying back loans, all that stuff. But it was a, it was a year of like pretty much just figuring out how bad do I want to do this? And it led to an opportunity to get paid in January of 19 in a role that I really had no idea what I was doing in, but there was the trust factor of, okay, you volunteered for a full year. You did all this stuff that really, you know, it's not great. You know, it's, it's pretty mundane, but you did it for a year and you, you approach it with a good attitude. And I trust you to do this job. That's important to the program and get paid for it. So it wound up paying dividends. Like I said earlier, like there's a lot of things in this coaching industry, like where if you do it right, like it, it'll, it will help you in the long run. And so volunteering was the best thing I've, I've done, uh, just behind probably switching over to defense. It, it changed the, the kind of the, the course of, of where this thing was going. No, of course. And I, I only ask that because anytime I've t- like, we'll talk, talk to friends and be like, yo, dude, I'm working for free or da, 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 da. They're mm-hmm. like, you're fucking crazy. But it's just like, yeah, but this is what I want to do. So I'm building towards it. You know what I mean? Like, yep. um, like obviously like you hear people like Gary B being like work for free, work for free, DM this. If you want to work with this guy, DM him and be like, Hey, if you're a photographer, be like, I'll take a million pictures of you. Won't charge you. I just want to get your, get your ideas on like what I could do better and stuff like that. Most people would be like, that's not realistic. That's stupid. Why would you do that? But it's just like, it's not about like one thing I've learned from real estate is that it's like you, you can't, it's about the relationship over the transaction. Right. Um, And like, it's not that like, I really have a lot of like lots to stand on because for real estate, like I'm just starting to like get good with it. And I don't want to say good, good, good's the wrong word, but I'm saying I'm just starting to like make good money with it. And I've been doing it for five years. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's obviously something you got to put the time in for. Um, But for like you, were, do you think that um, that like a, a lot of people are hesitant to do that because of we live in a world now where everything is instant. People want instant gratification and and stuff like that. And people are more are people care more about the, the, the accolades versus the process of actually doing it. I kind of left out a, a part that I think I should bring up. So I. All right. So in college, I didn't read books. Like I didn't read books. I didn't read school mm-hmm. books. I'm not, and I wasn't a great student. And I really, like I said earlier, I, I wish I applied myself more, but uh, I was in my second year at Concordia and I had like this revelation, like where I was like, man, I am bringing nothing to the table for my players. Like I have no, I'm just teaching them plays and how to run routes and I'm not adding any value to their life beyond football. And 
I felt like I wasn't doing my job. So, because I felt like I had coaches that impacted me beyond the football field. So when I like, basically when I was in that revelation there, I was like, how am I going to like, how am I going to, you know, flip the flip, you know, my, my coaching perspective, I guess. So Mm -hmm. I actually like was on Instagram. I, I swear by this, like I was on Instagram, I'm scrolling and like this, this book cover like popped up and I, it's just weird how like, al- like algorithm works or whatever. And it, it was, it was this like tiger face and the book said chase the lion. I'm like, that looks cool. You know, I just thought about like, like I need to add something. So I'm like, all right, well I'm gonna buy the book. I spent like 17 bucks on it. Right. So I get it in the mail like two days later and you know, I, I, you know, not super into my faith still. Like I, I wish I was better about it, but like I, I, I read it like in like three days, dude, I don't read. Like, so I read the book, I read the book and it was like, I couldn't believe it, man. I had this just different perspective on, on everything. Like it basically talked about like one idea, like one decision can completely change your life. Um, you know, like that, like basically your dream can impact other dreams. Like you're, you don't realize just that how you talk about what you want to do, around the friends that you're around like could impact and kind of blossom their perspective and their dreams. So Mm -hmm. this one book to me, like we talked about that decision to go to Lake Forest, like this one book to me, you know, it might seem like, wow, a book really changed your, your, your life or your perspective. No, it really did. Like, because I feel like it takes, I don't know, it takes, you know, it takes guts to, you know, go after something that just doesn't seem possible with like the help of something else. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? You know? And, um, you know, so I don't know. I feel like your legacy, like the, I don't know, like I've always thought this, but like your greatest legacy to me, it, like is your dream. But at the same time, what's even more inspiring besides that is the dreams you inspire, like in the people around you. Um, so if I can impact like my players and them, like striving to do more than just football or striving to do more than just getting C's and get like, go get A's, you know, go do things that are, um, you know, just different, you know, don't be scared to fail. Like you're, you're, you're supposed to, that's how you learn. So back on track to kind of like what you were talking about, I just had, that kind of just, I had to, I had to share that because to me, like that was a pivotal point in my career of like, not just going through the motions of stuff. Um, so with the whole volunteering thing and everything like that, like I knew in my head that like the, my vision was bigger and I knew that what I was doing in some way was going to impact me down the road. Like I knew it was bigger than like what I was in the moment. Like, my vision was, you know, bigger than my circumstances, if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. Cause I'm sure with a lot of my friends, I sound like I'm fucking like there was, I'm not, I'm not going to names, but there was a girl yeah. that I was talking to and I literally told her all my life plans. Like I told her, like, I was just like, this is what I see for myself. Da, 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 da. And I can tell that like, she was kind of like, why do you what, like, what it like, what is wrong with you? Like, why do you think that? Like, yeah. do you think you can do all that? And I'm like, fuck yeah, why can't I? <laughs> well, because it makes her uncomfortable, probably. Well, co- correct. And it's like, um, it kind of goes into like what we were talking about uh, off before we started recording was I was asking you is like when you got, you know, like when you had a couple guys go to the league or when you guys 
had, uh, you know, a big bowl game or something like that, and you're in like a really like big stadium, a pro stadium, or even some of the things, uh, even some of the things that you've been able to accomplish and do when I like, I didn't play when we played Syracuse my freshman year, but when we were walking out of the tunnel and I'm looking up and I'm like, Oh shit, like we're in the carrier down. Um, and then I'm like looking to my left and like Syracuse is right there lined up and we're on the right side, they're on the left side. And then we're warming up in pregame and, we're doing the pregame drills and stuff like that. And I'm looking across the field and I'm like, yo, we are legitimately about to go play Syracuse university. And Syracuse was always a school I wanted to go to. Um, and then I kind of like, it kind of hit me when I was on the sidelines, like uh, right before we did the national anthem and stuff. And I'm like, I always envisioned myself like being in this moment. And I always hyped it up to be some elusive, like grand thing that's on a pedestal that like when I reach it, I'm going to feel on top of the world. And then once I actually got, even though I didn't play in my freshman year, once I was there in that moment, I was like, this is it. And then I'm like looking around and then obviously from, and I'm just using lacrosse because that's the most like relatable example I have. And then my, uh, my roommate, Frank Brown, who he right now, he plays for the bandits and then he's playing in the PLL this summer. Um, When I went to visit him in Philly, and he was playing for the Philadelphia's pro team. And there was, a, I'm not going to say exactly what was happening, but like there was a couple of things that we got to do just because he was, you know, in the position that he was in. And then me being with him, I got to experience as well. Uh, it was another thing that I'm like, oh, I wonder what that would be like to experience that or do that. And then once I was doing it, it was again that, that this is it. So I kind of, which I'm sure you talk your players into like, of like, imagine yourself there and believe yourself there, visualize it, feel it, feel what it would be like, stuff like that. When after having those experiences, the reason that I believe that I can do whatever it is I, I put my mind to is because it, it's really like there's no difference between me and you. You know what I mean? No doubt. Um, we put our pants on the same way. We do the same things. But it's all like it all starts in the mind first. What like so like what is your take on that? So, you know, you said it, you said it best, like that's a good analogy with you walking into Syracuse, you know, the, my first away game at Buffalo when I was volunteering was at Temple. Uh, We played in the Philadelphia Eagles stadium. Uh, I remember our offensive coordinator who gave me the opportunity. He looked at me pregame. He goes, you know, what do you think? You know, like, and honestly, it, I was pretty like blown away because like you go from like coaching at division three in front of 200, 200 people tops you know, to a full stadium of like like a ton of people in Eagle stadium playing temple, you know, and we want to win in the game on like a last second heroic thing. So like in, like in that pregame, yes, I did have that like, wow. But when, when, you know, bullets started flying and, and pads started popping, you know, like there's a job to do. And there was no difference between if there was 200 people at the game or if we were at Philadelphia Eagles stadium, like there was just something that that you, you kind of lock in and you just realize like, okay, I'm in the moment, but like nothing is different than what, if what it was before, if we were playing in front of no people. So, or at a, you know, playing at a local high school field, like, so for, for me looking at just starting at Mac Murray and working up and, you know, it's definitely humble beginnings and, I'm grateful for really any of the opportunities we've had with whether it be bowl games. Um, you know, one thing sticks out, I guess, would be when we um, when we went to play Penn State in 2019. 
that was another like thing where like wow like this is incredible like we're we're about to play a we're about to play Penn State's opener in front of one hundred ten thousand, <laughs> and you know I was in the press box. Press box is shaking. There's a bunch of white towels being waved. They're, they're jumping. You know, it, you know it's crazy. It's a cool experience, but we got a job to do and let's get it done. And we want to be in up 10 to seven at halftime. And we go, we get to the locker room. We're looking at each other. Like we're about to do this, you know? And unfortunately they put up like 20 points on us in the second half, but it was just that, that kind of, you never, you never think things are going to happen, I guess. Like you never know um, the opportunities that are going to open up for you. Mm-hmm. And when they do, like, you're like, I at least am, I at least am like, wow, like I, this has been, this is crazy to think eight years ago, like wh- what you were doing. But then you, you kind of like get to the reality of the moment. It's like, okay, let's go. Like, I'm, re- I'm ready for this, you know? So yeah, be- that's because that's it's always, like, yeah. Cause it's like always something that you always wanted to do and picture for yourself. And then it's like, when you finally do it, you're like, Oh fuck. But then you're like, wait a second. I hyped it up to be something so much bigger than what it actually was. And I almost in a way kind of like mentally not talked myself, but kind of mentally like shook myself out of believing that it's actually could be a possibility. No doubt. Yep. Yep. Same, um, same perspective there. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously like we've been, we've been talking for, you know, just over an, uh, an hour now. So, you know, kind of one thing I wanted to get into with you is like, you know, UB D1 football, um, obviously it's not, and I, I'm not mean this in any like uh, slanting way, but you're obviously not at the level of like Alabama or school like that. Yep. Um, but you're still coaching D1 football. Um, and like you said, you played against Penn state, stuff like that. And as a coach, you're always trying to look and get better. And obviously, the the top dog and the king of college football has has been Nick Saban, and yep. and there was a couple things uh, because I kind of I kind of and this kind of sounds funny for anyone listening or even for you, but I kind of look at as Nick Saban as like a mentor from afar, and mm-hmm. I only say a mentor from afar is because I've I've watched a lot of his interviews, I watched a lot of his videos, and uh, and you know a lot of videos that is are online um, of how he speaks to his team and stuff like that, and there was a video that I found of him speaking to his team that I, I I watch religiously because I'm fascinated by it and I wanted to ask you about what he so he had a team meeting and this was I like Jalen Hurts was still at Bama Tua was there Jalen Waddle was probably like a freshman at the time um so this is like a really this is I want to say this was the season before they beat Georgia for the national title because mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts was still there. And Nick Saban, it was like their opening. I'm assuming it was right before camp started. And it was must have been when they first got back on the campus. But he was talking about mental toughness. And he was talking about what it takes to be tough. And he was saying how um, he, they they he wants to have a team that he was just like, you know, we want to be the team that nobody else wants to play. And to do that, we have to impose our will to dominate the competition all the time, no matter what. And he's like talking to them and he's like, and so what does that take? It takes toughness. He goes, we have to be tougher than everybody else. And he's like, how do we define mental toughness? He goes, we define mental toughness by what it takes to break you. And he's going, and I'm going to send you the link to this one when we're, uh, when we get done with this, by the way, too. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and he talks about, you know, he has hurricane windows in their house down in their beach house or something like that. And he said he was talking to the guy and he's like, you know, what, 
how do you know which windows are better? And he's like, well, what it takes to break the windows. That's how you, and he's like, okay. And so he's like, so what does it take to break you? And he said, thinking about toughness and mental toughness, what does it take to break you, you know, in terms of what does it take to break your focus? Because you got frustrated about what happened on the last play and now it's affecting the next play. And he was saying that if the next play is affected by the last play, you're frustrated and that play broke you. You're mentally, you're gone. You're already lost. And he's talking about, you know, how do you, um, how do you get to the point where you're not letting things deter, deter your focus? Like, Oh, it's too hot right now. So I don't want to run and finish the drill that coach wants me to do. And so, and he was saying how as coaches their your goal is not, you're not trying to break the player, but that's just football and you're preparing kids for, uh, to compete at a high level over the course of a season. So training camp is very tough. It's exhausting. And and uh, and all that so and he was going on to say and I'm kind of like fumbling over my words here but he was saying how there's really no easy way to go about that and he said it all starts with discipline and he was basically saying that having the toughness and uh, mental toughness figuring out what breaks you that allows you to have the discipline so that you're you know what you're supposed to do how to do it when to do it and that by consistently having that mental toughness and discipline, you eliminate and minimize the circumstances that don't allow you to be effective so that you're competing and you're going 100% at all times. And he was talking about how that even if you're tired on a play, not showing you're tired, because he said that if he lines up across from you and he could tell that you're tired, he knows that he just beat you. So, and obviously you're talking about Nick Saban who lives in the national championship. So, the whole point of me going on that little soliloquy was I would like to know, cause I, from a coach's perspective, cause I feel like nowadays kids are softer than what they were because people don't know how to take criticism. People don't, people don't know how to take criticism because they think like, Oh, coach, coach doesn't like me. He's being an asshole when really it's like, you're trying to make that person better. So um, as a D one coach, what is your whole perspective on, what I just said now from what I heard from Nick Saban and then just your experience with that. So kind of like I said about why I took the job at Buffalo and what my mentor told me about, like, you're going to go learn from people that, um, and a staff that just knows how to win. Um, so during my, you know, three years working with coach Leipold and the staff, like there are so many conversations about like what it takes to win and just the attention to detail. You, you really control your effort and your attitude every day. You know, the, that, that on top of, you know, showing that you care with being on time, um, these things compound, like the details compound. And it's not just football. It's not, it's not just being an athlete. Like when you wake up in the morning, like what's the first thing that you do? Do you snooze your alarm? Or do you get up on the first time it goes off? Because if you start it by snoozing your alarm, you start off with a loss. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, no, you, it does. If you compound wins early in your morning, like the most important part of your day is the, in my opinion, is the first two hours. Like, how do you, are you waking up early enough to where you can compound wins so that the rest of your day is smooth? Like, are you taking care of a workout in the morning? Are you reading in the morning? Are you doing breathing exercises? Are you doing yoga? Are you doing things that, are going to separate you if you show discipline. So from a looking at it as from like in our program, mental toughness, it's, it's not about like how physically you can be on the field. It's about how 
how long could you do the right thing for and can you outlast the opponent? Like we know what our jobs are and coach coach Leipold and, and coach K and coach Borland and coach Simpson, the guys that I work for, like they preach on a daily basis and they're, and they're consistent about it is just controlling what you can control. And if, and being prepared, you know, be prepared, whether it be, you know, thinking of instances that might not be, you know, might not like might not have happened, but possibly could happen. Like, uh, you know, be early blows out, you know, you're not going to be late. You know, we have a five minute mm-hmm. rule, like all these little details that have nothing to do with the four quarters really do have everything to do with the four quarters. So how you control yourself off the field and how much discipline you show in the little details that other people put aside as like, oh, that's not really important. It adds up to wins. And I really do think that we've been successful and coach was able to turn the program around um, to win because of all the stuff that we do off the field to, you know, to compound those things and, and grow as people. And so that mental toughness really comes down to just boil it and boil it down to, you know, how, committed are you to yourself but more importantly the people you're around like it's a the vision is bigger than like what your personal goals are the vision is like what is what are the team goals do you want to win championships do you want to win bowl games do you want to put the team on the map do you want to be a top 25 team okay well guys don't you you can't just show up and do that so in like january like coach gildersleeve our our strength coach like he does a ton of culture uh meetings and just talks about these, these little things that, I don't know, I feel like everyone just looks, looks past. Like, how do you approach class? How do you approach, you know, showing up to do treatment? Like, do you, do you go to treatment and treat it like you're going, you're preparing for a game or do you go to treatment? Like you're just kind of like going through the motions. So all these things and how you approach them on a daily basis, whether, I mean, you can tie your shoes a certain way because it's better than everyone else. Like, I mean, it's, it's just the, the different perspective that separates and it compounds and it, you keep separating, you keep getting better. And at the end of the day, it's a you versus you battle, in my opinion. Like, I mean, you show up on game day, like it's 11 on 11. Like you, a lot of the times it's one-on-one matchups and mm-hmm. yeah, it is one-on-one matchups, you versus the other guy, but how long could you stay in the game and not let the other guy rattle you? You said it best. Like one play could be a snowball effect. One play can lead to 10 bad plays, but you can't let that happen. You got to have a short memory. Our quarterback coach says it best focus and refocus mm-hmm. every yeah. that That's it. That's it. That's like focus and refocus. Like when you get off beat, focus and refocus and just get back onto what matters most is the next play. Exactly. And um, kind of like, you know, I, I don't I, I don't like how I said that originally, but how I'm always like, conf- I don't want to say confused, but like, I'm always curious, like, how do you handle a situation as a coach where, you know, you, a kid can't take tough criticism and he feels as though he's being victimized? Because I think that when you're at the D1 level, you're there for a specific reason, like you're there to 
you know, like you said, win. Like some coaches are like, oh, our goal is just to win the conference. Whereas at other schools, it's like, yo, it's national championship or bust. So that is where my intensity comes from. So um, I always like my mom's always said to me, like, if you don't like how a coach is talking to you, um, if you don't like how a coach is talking to you, have a meeting with him about it. And if you don't like how he is coaching in general, then don't play because obviously that coach is coming from the standpoint of like, I want to win. And like, we've all seen videos of Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and how just ruthless they are sometimes, but it, and, but look at them, they're champions. You know what I mean? So how do you get, um, how to navigate through, you know, a kid handling the tough criticism versus feeling victimized by the coach? Like, Oh, he's just being an asshole. He's too hard on me. If I if I even so, remotely said that right, no, no, you're you're. I see. I understand what you're saying. So, I mean, I think the first thing that like I I definitely want to clarify is like no matter the level, and maybe it's because a lot of the roots of the coaches I work with were also Division three coaches, and Division three is about relationships, man. Like you got to love the players that you're coaching. You got to love the game because a lot of those guys don't have a chance to make it to the NFL, right? But like when being at the Group of Five level at UB and like working at the FBS level, like it's this, it's still the same. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta build the relationship and build the trust. Like the guys that I've worked with did a great job, you know, of essentially having crucial conversations with guys that, you know, early on, like, you know, saying like, this is how I coach, you know, I want the best for you. I, I see, I saw potential in you and, and offered a scholarship for you to come here. And I feel like I'm supposed to, it's my job to bring that potential out of you. And, and hold you accountable. Like, and sometimes it's tough. Like there's definitely been, you know, times where like there's instances where like guys just don't take it great. But I think right now, and, and you said it earlier about just kids don't sometimes take the criticism as they might've done when we were playing, you know, like, you know, a few years mm-hmm. back. But I also think that it's our jobs, a job as coaches to adjust and adapt and, and to coach every kid a little bit differently. Like you got to know, you got to know the kids on a deeper level right now than I think you did when I was playing, um, because you got to know what you got to know what gets them going. You got to know what gets them up in the morning, and you got to know what gets them fired up to to really have a great practice, to have a great game, to do good in school. You know, you got to ask them questions about what their goals are, and that's why that that player development role was extremely important for me because it brought out like how can I get these guys motivated to do school? Like, that's a hard thing. Like it's not, I'm not talking to them about motivating them to do football. That's easy. How, how can I motivate them to do well in school so they can have a degree so they can have a successful life beyond football if it doesn't work out in the NFL. So yeah, I, I mean, I think just my answer to you is this is like each kid it has is, is different and mm-hmm. each kid can You can't coach 15 guys the same way you can't have the same relationship with 15, 15 of your players. Like you got to sit down, you got to ask them about their family. You got to ask them about what motivates them. You got to ask them about what's the, who's the worst coach you ever had. Who's the best coach you ever had and why, like what, mm-hmm. what is, what's one uncomfortable situation been in like where you've grown, like you have to ask good questions to show that you care and you truly care. And you have to like show that, what you do on the field is for their their best interest. So by building the relationship, you are building the trust to coach them hard. 
and I worked for a guy, Coach Simpson, who's now at the University of Kansas. He, he, uh, he did an incredible job of just, you know, bridging that gap because he was a tough coach, man. Like he'd get into the guys like in it. And, you know, if you're doing it and if you're doing something wrong and we went over it and we went over it, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, he, you know, guys would know like, yeah, I'm in the wrong, you know? And so that culture in just that linebacker room, they knew where he was and where he stood and why, if he's yelling, he's yelling for a reason. He's getting into you for a reason. It's not just to do it because he likes to yell. Like, so it starts with, it starts with relationships, but not just like the top of like, you know, it's not just the tip of the iceberg relationships. It's like asking stuff and asking hard questions that aren't always talked about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, some people, like a lot of guys in sports and you, John, you can vouch for this too, with guys you play with and I, you guys that I played with, like a lot of like athletes, college athletes, they go through a lot. They don't even talk about. Oh, that's a that's a fact. I just meant like you know, because I don't want it to get lost in translation. Yeah, I just meant the fact of like like me personally, I needed someone screaming at me because yeah, if yeah, coach yeah. wasn't screaming at me, I was I was getting lazy on myself. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I needed a coach motherfucking me and stuff. And I've had coaches where coaches screamed at me, and I fucking scream right back. And it wasn't the, like with the coaches I have done that with. It wasn't out of pure disrespect. It was just like, okay, you're being like, you know, there's a very fine on a player to get the most out of them versus okay you're just being an asshole you know what i mean but um again and it's like i I mainly was asking from the presence of it's like i just feel as though that like within sports today people want that participation trophy people just want the recognition and and stuff like that so it's like how do you as a coach how do you obviously you have to coach everyone differently like there's players i played with where if they were to get screamed at like i got screamed at they'd probably stop playing right then and there so I completely agree with you about how each player is different and you got to just like how if you were a boss, you're not going to be able to treat one person, one employee the way that you're going to treat another employee. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so the way I mainly wanted to ask that is like, how do you teach? And maybe I'm going to change my question. It kind of sounds like I'm backtracking my statement, but um, to ask it better is how, how are you able to make it clear for a group of guys that like, Hey, um, I'm, I'm, I just want the best out of you versus like, I'm being a dick. Um, start with the end in mind. Okay. So for me, it's like, you sit down and you have a conversation about this is where I see you being able to go. This is your potential. What's it take to get there? Break it down. And, and essentially that's, that's how you're able to, to successfully communicate a vision to the player so that when you are getting into guys and you are coaching them hard, you're doing it with a mutual understanding of where we're trying to go. Mm -hmm. And that's as a group, but it's also individually because if you all know what the vision is as a whole, and then you have that kind of like sub vision as like, okay, like where, what's my potential. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then, then you know that reaching your potential is important to the whole vision as a, as a group, right? Like you're mm-hmm. only holding the group back if you're not really trying to reach what the, the potential is in, in me, you know? So I'd say, I'd say that's your best. That's the, that's for me, the first thing that came to mind. Okay. Yeah. Now, now with, uh, have you had any um, experiences with that where like a coach, like a, a player's come to you and has been like, Hey coach Peters, like, 
I don't like I don't understand what's going on here. And then you kind of, you know, had to change the course of like how you coach that specific player and you've noticed you got more out of them or like have have you had that experience yet? I did. I did early on in coaching. Um, like I said, I think the first couple of years I was just kind of, I just didn't have I didn't have good perspective on what the impact I could have as a coach. I was kind of just going with emotions. So like I had a conversation with one of my former receivers. Um, this is before I kind of like got into, you know, character building and stuff like that. I, I, you know, he didn't really appreciate, you know, that he wasn't getting playing time and he felt like he should be getting playing time, but you know, he was still pissed cause I was, you know, pissed that he didn't know the, didn't know the plays, you know, but at the end of the day, if a guy goes on the field and doesn't know the plays, that's on me. Yeah. So, like for me, as a you know, we had a conversation and it kind of, and I took a, and I took accountability, um, you know, for um, I took accountability for you know having to, um, you know, just change how I went about things. And I, you know, it's that's not always the case, though. I would say, you know, my instance that the one I thought of was one that I was in the wrong. Um, but there was also another time where a kid just could not, couldn't do right. Like he, he didn't want to show up on time. He didn't want to do the things that really added up to him being successful and just having the conversation about like, what's your end goal? Um, and, and, and just kind of painting that vision for him and having him speak it, you know, that, that kind of helped me as a young coach when I was 23 years old, like, show him that there's I guess what I'm trying to say is show him that what he wants is not matching what his actions are mm-hmm. and being and me coaching him hard is trying to get him back on a path of hey like this ain't adding up to what your end goal is so yeah that's kind of like what those are two different conversations that I had that I can think of um where I had to have hard conversations, but in this industry and in, 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 in any industry, the, the like breaking down the barriers and building a tighter culture and community, whatever it is, like mm-hmm. you got to have crucial conversations. You got to have hard conversations with friends, with family, with, with coworkers, you know, to build better, you know, synergy better, you know, cause when you work together, man, like, whether it be a team, whether it be a job, like you can do far more working together than working alone. Of course. Now, you know, kind of wrapping things, wrapping things up here. um, What would you say is the biggest as a a college player? What was the biggest thing that took you off guard about playing college football and then coaching college? What was the biggest thing that kind of took you off guard as a college coach that you kind of like quickly had to adapt, adapt to? Um, I would say that what I really was caught off guard as a player when I was 17, I was the only 17 year old on uh, the team as a freshman in college. Uh, I had to grow up. I was really immature. Um, I thought that, you know, I'm from Buffalo, like Buffalo perspective over everyone else's. Like I was going to school with a bunch of people from all over the place. And I had a buddy of mine who, who's actually like my, one of my best friends now. And he kind of like, you know, put me into perspective like dude like you don't know shit like you know like the world is bigger than buffalo new york and not shitting on buffalo but just any city like 
you need to have a perspective open to, to anyone in any, like, you know, from any background, like you need to be open-minded and show empathy and listen and listen to understand, not just to, to just respond. I think that's such a problem. So for me, that was a huge thing for me getting into college and starting college was I just didn't get that. I really don't think I got it. So luckily I had a friend that kind of kicked me in the butt and, and woke me up to it. And then as a coach, when I got into coaching, um, you know, I would say that the first one that comes to mind is what we talked about with like reading that book and like reading books consistently after is just investing in yourself so that you can provide information to others. Um, mm-hmm. That is just crucial for growing for helping as many people as you can um and in coaching like yeah it's about football it's about wins it's about all that stuff but like help as many people as you can like climb like help as many like it's there's so there's such a a a bad perspective sometimes in just not football but just in general of like this scarcity mindset that like there's not enough opportunities for everyone and really when you flip that to like an abundance mindset that there are, you know, there's so many opportunities out there, like that you don't have to fight for those opportunities, help the next guy get to where he wants to be. Because the more people you have at where you want to be, the better chance you're going to have of getting there. Is that, you know, if that makes sense. Like, um, so I've always tried to kind of have that when in, you know, since I got into coaching is like the more people you can bring along in this thing and in coaching, um, the better. And, um, and then from a perspective of like just coaching football, um, you know, you, I get to coach a game for a living, man. Like it's, it's, I, I, it's incredible. Like, so I, I try to be grateful as possible. Um, and just, I, I love what I do. So, uh, and I get to coach really good, really good kids. And, um, hopefully like, you know, 10 years from now, you know, they call you, they call me and say, Hey, thanks for, you know, giving me this advice, you know, rather than, you know, Hey, do you remember the score of this game? You know, that's kind of like where you want to be as a coach is you want to, you want to impact them beyond just a score. No, I completely agree. Cause there's, I even looked at like some teachers as well. Cause it's like, as a coach, you're like coaching, you're not, that's the thing. It's like, you're teaching them how to be, how to be the best they can be. You know what I mean? So it's so much bigger than it's so much bigger than the X's and O's and, you know, the film sessions and stuff like that. But all those little things of, you know, because I kind of say that like sports is like the biggest metaphor in life. It's like, if you know, I heard Kobe say this and it kind of resonated and I I was starting to think about it as well. And I know Nick Saban, I heard him say that is that like, if you know what excellence looks like in sports, you're able to translate that into life. No doubt, man. It's, it's sports are such, and that's the thing with, with COVID right now with kids not playing in the fall and everything like that. Like mm-hmm. that was, that was hard to see because I just know how much of an impact it has on kids that don't, you know, uh, you know, I didn't come from much growing up. I needed sports, you know, I needed that outlet to just go out and, and play a game and escape some things. And so for the kids that couldn't do that this fall, like, that's it just, it sucks, man. And I know, so basically, like you said, it's a great metaphor for life. It's a great way to teach lessons that can't be taught in a classroom, which there's a lot of them that you can learn, uh-huh. um, you know, accepting others for who they are and, you know, just having a common goal and 
it doesn't matter where you come from, um, you know, what the color of your skin, anything like that, man. Like, just put that aside and just go in some football games and have fun doing it. Like, that's that's the best part about, you know, sports in general is you can build lifelong relationships through a, a, a football, you know. Yeah, exactly. So. And now um, one last question I have for you. Yeah, I got time. Uh, no, no rush at all. Yeah, no. So, and like the one last question I have for you is, uh, and I feel like if you're any of your players are listening, they'd be able to uh, take away from this. Um, and I ask everyone this is that if you were to meet your younger self today and the oldest that you are when you meet your younger self is you're 18 years old, what would you tell yourself about the ups and downs in life? And then on top of it, what piece of advice would you give yourself to carry with you moving forward in life? So, uh, oh, I, let's see. So 18 year old me, I think that I thought the world was a lot smaller than it is. I think that I would tell myself to fail more. I think I would tell myself to don't be afraid to have hard conversations. You know, don't be afraid to, um, have big dreams. Don't let other people put their limitations on your aspirations. I feel like I did that a ton. I feel like I didn't, you know, I, you know, not saying I could have walked on anywhere and played and, you know, been a start or anything like that, but I felt like I probably could have, you know, walked on at UB or walked on at a bigger school and just failed. Don't, and you know, the earlier you can learn to fail, the better. And, um, so I would, I would probably say, I'd probably say something like, I'd probably tell them, tell myself 18 year old me to, you know, to go after some things that are, are unattainable, you know, to everyone else. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, high school kids in general, uh, failure is looked at as a bad thing and failure is growth at the end of the day. Like, if, mm -hmm. like failure is only failing when you don't take it and learn from it. So like, you just have to make it a, a learning opportunity as many times as you can. And the more times you do it and you, and you grow and you see it, the more times you're going to want to fail, the more times you're going to want to try to do things that you don't want to do. Um, you know, um, so I would tell myself that because I, I think even though I'm really in a great spot and I'm really grateful to be where I am, I mean, who knows, who knows where I, where it could have gone if I was doing that earlier eight years earlier you know mm -hmm. so. absolutely and what would you have uh and one last question is like yeah, what piece of fine. advice would you have uh would you have for a kid that's graduating college and wants to get into coaching but doesn't you know there's no money in it what i mean i don't mean it like that like not that yeah. there's money in it but like they got denied from all the coaching jobs that they apply to and stuff like that, but they really want to get in coaching. What would be your uh, perspective and an opinion on that? Um, so they really want to coach and they have no traction with everything um, is, and it's funny because you say that and, you know, I try to tell a lot of the volunteers that are, were in or are in the position I was in at, at Buffalo two years ago is the handwritten letter is probably the most underrated thing in this day and age because of everything, email, text, FaceTime, everything like that. I would tell anyone that's looking to get into coaching to sit down and form a list of people that you can somehow make some sort of connection with. And what I mean by that is this, 
there's like you said it best. You you sent emails to all these brokers and stuff like that with real estate, right? Uh-huh. If there's so much information on the internet, you just have to dig. You have to dig and you have to dig. So like for myself, um, you know, I went through every NFL media guide and I found people that either went to school in Chicago, have some sort of connection beyond football, Buffalo roots, whatever way I can kind of find some sort of connection. I made like a running list of people and where they were and what connection I can make. And I went down that whole list and I wrote handwritten letters to those people, you know, introduced myself, stayed in my connection and explained what my goals were. And those handwritten letters have literally kind of just blown up the opportunity that might happen in the future. It might not be tomorrow, but Mm -hmm. 10 years, 10 years from now, I might be in a position where a guy remembers when I wrote him a letter and he then reaches out and he says, Hey, I remember when you wrote me that letter. I really appreciate it. Like you just don't know the power of the time it takes one to write the letter. And when you open up something that's personalized to you, like that makes a, a an impact or a first impression that's you don't get with an email. You don't get with a phone call. You don't get with a text message. It's so easy to do those things. So if you want to really be in this industry, make connections, show your work for free because you want to learn, you want to be a sponge and you're, you know, you show up with a beginner's mindset. Even if you think, you know, things you've got to show up with a, you know, a glass, literally empty mindset and writing these handwritten letters, no matter the industry. So don't, if you want, yes, coaching, yes, you need to do it. I really feel you need to do that, but real estate, you know, you want to get in, you want to get into any sort of industry, write letters because the people are going to get back to you and people that are at the top were helped to get there. So the people that you're reaching out to had someone help them. So their, you know, their ability to help someone else and get to where they want to be is kind of like good karma, um, you know, to, to help that vision uh, come to fruition. So I think that would be my biggest advice is be a sponge and, you know, write handwritten letters as many times as you can and get your name out there. Absolutely. I love it. And um, what, uh, where, where, where you, I want you to put it on the record right now. So speak it into existence. Were you trying to get to the NFL? You trying to like, where are you trying to go with coaching? Um. You know, it's funny. I have in my office, I have a, um, I have a dry erase board and it has at the top of the board, it says someday goal. And then underneath it, five year goal. And then underneath it, one year goal. And then under that is one month, one week, and then today. And so I've seen, I, I wrote this out probably over a year ago. And, you know, for me, my someday goal is I want to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Right. Mm-hmm. So Right now, it's a Sunday goal. I don't have a date. There's not a date. It's it's in the it's in the future that, you know. There's no not ten years from now. It's whenever that can happen. I, that's what my goal is. You know, five years mm-hmm. from now, five years from now, I want to be an NFL wide receivers coach. Yeah. One year, one year from now, I want to be an NFL scouting intern. One month from now, you know, what what could I be doing in the next month to set that up? You know, can make it. I want in one month from now, I want to have four new connections in the NFL to make that happen. You know, I want to make, you know, I've even upped that to more than four. I, you know, I'm trying to make as many as possible in a month's time uh, with letters and emails and stuff like that. And then break the that break that down to a week. 
you know, I'm trying to look and see what the new trends are in the NFL, what the new play concepts, who's the, who are the, the young and upcoming coaches that I should be trying to meet. So mm-hmm. staying, staying in the, in the know. And then on a daily basis, I'm trying to just better understand the game because then yeah. at, at, the, at the end of the day, like I'm a football coach, I'm not a networker. I'm, I, I'm a football coach that needs to, to be on top of my stuff and learning different positions and learning, you know, what the, the, the new techniques are and being up to date and being able to teach and, you know, uh, being able to stand in front of people and, and talk about scheme and, and technique is important. So on a daily basis, I'm trying to grow in, in my football, you know, knowledge, but I'm also trying to make sure that I'm taking the steps needed to reach that someday goal. So when you lay it out with the end in mind, man, like I said earlier, you put the, you know, start with the end in mind. Like you work backwards, it's a lot easier to kind of like see that as a possibility, you know. Absolutely. And uh, who is one coach that you have yet to meet? Um, that you have yet to meet that you would love to uh, work with. Oh, that's a good question, man. There's there's a lot of good guys. We'll, in we'll, we'll, we'll end it. We'll end it on that. We'll give give me your Mount Rushmore. <laughs> so give me your top four. Oh man, um, top four. All right. I think uh, Ed Orgeron at LSU would be really a great guy to work for because he's <laughs> go Tigers. <laughs> yeah, you know I and because I I've 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 watched some clinics on him and you know he started in um in the industry and he's failed like he he's he's been at a point where you know he was you know, down and out in the industry and was able to climb back and be a, be a head coach, win a national championship. Like his, uh, you know, his persistence with things is, is really admirable. And, you know, the people I've talked to that have worked for him, you know, said he's a great guy. Um, Dabo Sweeney would be a guy, a guy for sure. And it's kind of like, you know, Oh, wow. He's coached at Clemson. Like that's kind of a obvious, but I don't know. I feel like, you know, he just, he's a class act. He runs a program that is elite and he, was a former walk-on receiver at Alabama, a guy that, you know, the odds were stacked against him. Like, he, I'm pretty sure he was uh, doing real estate um, right when he got out of college and then realized he didn't want to do it and got into coaching, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these guys that are at the top really have these these stories that are pretty cool. Um, so I'd, I'll give you two more. Um, so, you know, I would say – um, Matt LaFleur, who's the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Um, really? That shocks me. So well, there's a reason. So um, my one of my mentors is um, – his name is Jim Kieran, and I worked for him at Concordia. He coached Matt LaFleur in college, and um, he's very close to them. And there's just this – he's told me a lot of stories about him and stuff like that. And, you know, he just says – you know, Hey, like, you know, like one day I hope you get to meet him and stuff like that. And you feel like he feels like I would hit it off, you know, and, and just, I just feel like he is such a good young head coach uh, in my perspective. I know Aaron Rodgers is trying to run out of the place, but um, don't blame him. Yeah. You know, so I, uh, and you know, they're kind of pushing him out a little bit with Jordan love and all that stuff, but you know, he's right up there. Um trying to think i mean i have not met sean mcdermott yet but i don't know if i want to put him on as my last and fourth one um you know saban would be a you know i don't know i feel like that's pretty cliche um i would say tony dungy 
Okay. I yeah. I yeah. I like that one. I would say Tony Dungy. I've read two or three of his books, and I feel like I'm gonna hang up on this thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna know four more coaches I probably would have picked over the ones that I picked because there's so many good dudes in this industry. Um, and uh, I would say Tony Dungy because he just is one of those guys that just understands life. And you read his books and you hear him talk and he just has, I feel like you can just talk to him about life and just, he's not this massive figure that won a Super Bowl and coach Peyton Manning. I feel like he's just a, a ball coach and, you know, so I would, I would love to meet him. Um, but yeah, I know for a fact when I hang up here, I'm going to have like eight different coaches that I'm like, man, I should have said him. But uh, yeah, I'd say right now if we're in this moment, that's, that's my, that's like my Mount Rushmore, man. I, it's a, that's a tough one, but it's a good question. Yeah, so, I mean, I liked all those picks, but, yeah, I think I know um, I got to get you? Hoagie on here. You do, I man. Gotta get, you got to get Hoags, man. Yeah, I know. I was talking to I was talking to He's so busy, but I was talking to him uh, a little bit when he first got uh, hired by Arizona, and I definitely – but, hey, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's another guy that went to AP with us, so, like, there's no yeah. reason why that can't be you. Dude, and we talk all the time. Um, that's one of my close friends in the industry because – uh, we started the same. We started coaching at the same time. Now he was at Buff State. Mm-hmm. I was at Mac Murray, and uh, it's just been awesome to see his climb. And you, I mean, he he talked his goal into existence, man. He know he knew from the jump he wanted to be in the NFL. And what's crazy is, and it's really not even crazy. It's just that he literally was knocking on every door, sending every letter, sending every email to create an opportunity uh, to where he is right now. So I mean, it's no fluke. He did the work and he made it happen. So. Uh, I'm extremely pumped for him and and what he's kind of been able to to accomplish so far. And he's just going to climb. He's I mean, it's not even close to like uh, we. I can't even I can't even fathom where he's going to go in the NFL because it's just <laughs> he, he's he's going no, he's, he's 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 going to be the next the next big thing. And I'm I'm very excited. Uh, I'm very excited for him. So hopefully he hires me as like his assistant or something one day. That'd be great. We'll see. Yeah, or fucking who knows? Maybe you guys are fucking head coach and assisting who knows maybe you guys are coaching an NFL team together that would be fucking wouldn't, wild wouldn't that be something no that's that's the goal man but uh you know and that's why it's important like to put like try to help as many people as you can you know get to the where they want to be because you know it's I don't know I just feel like it's people are always trying to like you know kick people down and, and instead of throwing them up like let people get in front of you so that they can reach back and help you one day like it's just it's a different I, perspective, you know? Yeah, let's end on that, actually, because that's something sure. that irks me and makes my skin crawl and no other. Yeah, and it's always sure. funny because when I have – when I – like, when I, I know personally know people that are like that all the time. Yeah. And when you really get in deep with them, not in, like, a debate or conversation or argument and shit like that, um, but when you really get in deep with them and, like, have those conversations, it's just, like, it all comes down to insecurity and uh, self-doubt. And yeah. no one and no one believes that you can do something that you can't do. So, like, for me, it's like if you saying I want to get into the NFL, motherfucker, I better see you in the NFL. It's not like I'm like, OK, bro, pump your brakes. Like, no, t- like th- thinking that big in your field, I think that big, if not bigger for my field. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. No, no, it does, man. Um, I think that y- you almost have to you have to talk to yourself in a positive light. Um, yes. A lot, you know, you have to have your self talk and what you say to yourself on a daily basis is extremely important. Just not even in my industry, but just, 
you know, everyone, everyone, man. Like, I mean, how you wake up and talk to yourself in the morning about what you're about to do and how it's going to help where you want to go is everything. Um, so for just in general, talking about like the people that you surround yourself with, you don't, you can't control, you know, everything. Right. But like you can, you know, if you are around people all the time that are just bashing your dreams and not pouring into them, like you got to change your circle. And, um, you know, my circle has gotten a lot smaller over the past couple of years and that's on purpose. You know, it's not a fluke, you know, it's because where I want to go and who I'm trying to take with me, like those are the people that I care about and want to see my goals and stuff, you know, come to fruition. So I'm trying to make their goals come to fruition. Right. So the more that I guess the smaller your circle is, the easier it is to do that, too, because you're not trying to make 25, 30 people's dreams come to, you know, true. You're trying to help four or five people, maybe even less. So. Uh-huh. I would, I would say, you know, just for anyone listening, like you, if you don't got people pouring into your dreams or what you believe and want to do, even if it's a crazy thing, like you want to start a business and it doesn't seem like a realistic idea, like find new friends, you know, like, yes, yeah. you know, you really, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. Like find people that are gonna believe in what you do and how you do that is look for like-minded people, look for people doing the same thing because they want to help you because they're struggling probably too in what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say that's, it's for sure a thing that irks me. So I'm, I'm glad it, I'm not the only one. No, of course. So, Hey bro, well, it's always good catching up with you. Um, I'm definitely, when we get off this recording, I'm definitely going to give you a call right after. So, uh, but yeah, I, uh, thank, I thank you for doing this. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to have you on in the future again. Hey man, I, I appreciate it too, man. It's fun to chop it up and like I said, if any piece of information can help someone else, you know, kind of move forward in their career, football or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. it's, I'm just kind of trying to pay it forward. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get back on again and we can, we can chop it up more, but I just appreciate you having me on. It's, it's been fun kind of reminiscing a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So uh, there you have it. Fucking Mike Peters, linebacker coach at UB and uh Future NFL Super Bowl winning champ, and I'm going to end it on that. So that's how we're doing it. You're the the man, dude. I appreciate you. All right, bro. I'll catch you.